Yer, and welcome to another episode of CHN Radio. Ladies and germs, we have with you, with you, for you tonight. Wow, this is just already the worst intro in the world, but we're keeping it all in because we do <laughs> one take and that's it. I'm Elijah. Josh is here with me. Josh, how are you? Well, I'm I'm doing well. I'm recovering. Okay. Uh, sometimes when you take a vacation, Elijah, you need a vacation from the vacation in order to get back mm. to your station. Facts. Facts. I was you rhyming accidentally there. How was the vacay? And also, happy belated birthday. I know Thank people you, were showing you love on the Twitters. That was nice. I appreciate yes. it. Well, you know, we're just, it's a family, man. CHN Radio fam. That's what we do. But yes, how was the vacation? Um, dragging three kids through Southern California to go visit three different theme parks in record heat uh, in October for Anaheim was fantastic. Hey, it's a rite of passage. You got you to <laughs> take the fam to a Disney property. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if like the way that Disney's operating, I don't even know if it's going to be affordable by the time I have children. So, you know, Ooh, no, consider it, yourself yeah. lucky, I guess. We, yeah, we, my wife and I had saved for a long time to make this happen and uh, the kids enjoyed it. I recommend it to anyone that can make it out there. Um, you know, do Disney in two days, do Universal in two days. Don't try to do one park in one day. And uh, just just pick one and go for a couple of days instead of trying to do it all. You know, don't boil the ocean. Just go yeah. have fun at one park. Yeah, and just know that like like there's 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 no way for you to like I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but like there's just like no way you're gonna get like the cheapest possible thing like deal nope. available. Like it's you just you just gotta stomach the fact that whatever you want to do, it's gonna be expensive. It's going to feel like it's too much money. And when you go, you might be like, oh, this is, that was a lot of money for this. But at the it's going to hurt when you get back, but just enjoy your time while you're yeah. there. And yeah, the best thing to do is just like save up, pay, enjoy yourself while you're there, and then, you know, figure out the other stuff later. Yeah. This means <laughs> nothing to the UK audience. They're like, what does that mean? Like, if you're in the UK and you're trying to go to Disney World or Disneyland, by all means, it's going to be even more expensive. Well, they got, got that one in Paris. They got Disney Paris. Well, yeah, but I mean, Disney Paris is it's uh, it's not the same. I think it's like the same size as the Anaheim one, and I think Paris is actually more accessible to the UK than, let's say, Orlando is to Oregon. It's like a. I mean, true. Yeah, I mean that's that's. Like anything in Europe is more accessible than Orlando, <laughs> which is something people in the UK don't seem to understand. But yeah. that's a different conversation altogether. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, people don't realize that me and Josh live thousands of miles away from New York City at this rate. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're like, oh, just take a flight from New York City to, to London. It's not that simple. Like if I want to go to Newcastle, it's going to be like almost an entire day of just traveling to leave the country uh so oh yeah i won't be doing i won't be taking the kids on that one but i will i oh, will yeah. make i will make my pilgr- pilgrimage one day yeah no it's it's on the cards okay cool uh let's let's get into some news um i mean we can go through the normal spiel about yeah. following us on twitter and all that kind of jazz but honestly i feel like you probably know where to follow us on twitter it's at there. underscore podcast it's very very easy all right um Josh, Newcastle women have played a couple times since we last recorded. You want to give yeah. us the women recap? Yeah, for those that were listening for us uh, last week, we weren't we weren't out there 
So um, we're going to catch up on a few things today. Uh, Newcastle women followed up their loss to Durham Sestria in the cup with a loss to Durham Sestria in the league two to one. And they have dropped to fourth behind Leeds, Durham Sestria and Barnsley. They play Barnsley at home this Sunday. I think at Druid Park. Um, They did win, however, in the Vitality Women's FA Cup preliminary round, defeating a hapless Gateshead Rutherford. 12 nil and they advance to the cup uh, like the proper uh cup so yeah, yeah. no good on the women uh i hope they get that cup it'll be great uh, but once you get into that fa cup there's a lot of like the, the wsl teams are up there the the really i mean they could end up playing an arsenal or a chelsea and um th- this ain't the men's side man those arsenal and chelsea women are like head and shoulders above where our women are at for now, for now, but um, they've got to they've got to start to catch up on these on these wins um, in the league, and they get started uh, against Barnsley, as as mentioned. I, I think it's a better comparison to like say that it would be as if our U twenty ones played uh, like Manchester City. Yeah, is a better like description of. When you know a team, and for for the women's team, if they're at the level they are at now, if they're playing in Arsenal or Chelsea, like that's that's more on par with with like how that would look. Just to put things into perspective. But again, it's cool to absolutely batter team twelve nil. Like hopefully the the guys can do that at some point. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> other things that did occur: Newcastle did hire a chief commercial officer. From one football, uh, Peter Silverstone. Uh, he again, he was at One Football, which is a football media platform, uh, German-based, uh, very popular in Europe. Probably not as popular in the states. So if you're American, you're like, what is that? It's like FotMob or something similar, or you know, one of those. Just oh, okay. They've got the app. They've got you know, they they cover all the leagues. They do story. You know, it, it's just the. It's 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 or maybe like a Copa ninety, but uh, probably closer to like a font mob because I don't think they do as much video content as like Copa ninety does, yeah. or did. I'm not really sure what they're up to since like all of their talent is now like doing dispersed. Yeah, <laughs> all doing really cool things. Um, Other so places. The tough, the tough part about having a successful media company and you're like a startup and you don't like sell out to a larger organization is that nine times out of ten, like if you blow up like you're you're i don't know the compensation for your talent is not going to be at the level that it should be and that's a long again another conversation for another time but anyway uh he was also at arsenal previously as well so he does have a proper footballing background um but he will definitely he will take over and report directly to darren eels uh doing all the commercial deals i think a couple that people have pointed out as potential commercial deals on the cards um People are wanting a new jersey sponsor, and or sorry, new I guess jersey provider, kit provider, as well as a new jersey sponsor. Um, that's those are probably the the the, the jersey sponsor thing is probably gonna be the first thing on the docket because I want to say the Fun eighty eight contract. I think that's up anyway, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm about to say that it would extend it just for this path for this season, I believe, and then yeah. it's gonna be up. So that'll be one of the first things they sell, um, and then maybe a kit provider. People have tried to make this link that like Darren Eels and Peter Silverstone both like worked 
at teams that had Adidas, and so like there's an Adidas connection there. And Ooh. like, I mean, yeah, sure, technically, like Daniels did work at a club. Yes, Newcastle, not Newcastle, and Lane United. That was an Adidas team. But yes, the entire of MLS, the entirety of MLS is Adidas. So it Adidas, wasn't like yeah. he struck that deal together. I mean, yeah, he has contacts there, but they were people who are managing an account. I mean, it, I mean, look, we were previously an Adidas team, and if if we wanted to be, we could be again. It's just a matter of, you know, does you know, do we get the deal cut with Adidas to provide the kits at a reduced rate because of where we're going? To be quite honest with you, Elijah, I feel like we've been there, done that with Adidas. I have a few in my closet that I like, but I'd love to kind of see where we could go with nike or i um, mean i don't i don't hate the sh- i don't hate the designs of the shirts that we have right now is it castor or is it castore yeah, i think it's castore I, yeah i don't hate them and they seem to be growing in their own stature they're adding a new team every year and their partnerships are growing but i felt like the the two kits that i have the quality is lacking the mm-hmm. material feels a little flim flam um yeah. i'm scared to wash it feels um, like a DH gate kit. Is, it, is yeah. What I've heard, and I feel like that's why you're starting to see a lot more Newcastle fans just straight up order the knockoffs because it's like, if I'm going to get bad quality, I might as well not pay, you know, exactly. Know, yeah. Or whatever they're paying. So yeah, that's a good shot. I, I don't know if, if I'm going to say the Adidas experiment is over. I'll say this. If Newcastle go about those same things they're doing now, and I think people are noticing investment. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but I think, I mean, we've already talked about this on the pod before, about how American media has already hopped on the Newcastle bandwagon and is already singing their praises. I think this this as go as far as like this past Sunday, um, Tim Howard and whoever else was doing studio work for Peacock was like, "There's there's now a big seven in Newcastle's." like the seventh team, like they're already oh, all in on. Like, yeah. Robbie Earl. Yeah. yeah Robbie Earl. I couldn't Robbie remember Earl. which Robbie it was. So I, I didn't want to like one of the two. But, um, yeah. One of the two said it, but it's just like, like I think companies are smart and can see the direction of this team and of this club and know that like, regardless of the on-field product at the time, even if Newcastle were in 15th, they would still see the potential. But the fact that Newcastle are currently in fourth and, you know, in whenever this Castore deal runs up, whether it's the end of next season or the season afterwards, you know, maybe Newcastle have already cemented themselves as firmly in the top half. Like, I think you're going to have your pick of the litter as to who oh, yeah. is going. Yeah. So, I, I mean, New, Newcastle fans, like, I will say, don't assume that we have to, like, go out and make connections at Adidas for a deal to work out. Adidas will come to the table. Nike will come to the table. Puma will come back to the oh, table. Oh, yeah. Everyone They're all interested. Yeah, They're all, they all stand to make money, so yeah, why wouldn't so they knock on the door? New Balance is going to – it's literally going to be who is going to offer the most amount of money, and that is who is going to like, – it. that's yeah. honestly all it's going to be. It's, that's that's it. So I, I wouldn't put too much stock in that. The one thing – there's t- there's a couple things that, um, that will be affected by this chief commercial officer – as people have pointed out, the stadium naming rights deal, Darren Eels has discussed it, something that they want to do. I, like, I think it's it's a no-brainer to do if you're from a potential, just from a pure revenue standpoint. Uh, you look at how Newcastle with the Sports Direct deal are making roughly £6 million a year. I mean, you could, you could make way more than that on a stadium naming rights deal, even if the UK st- stadium naming rights deals 
are not as lucrative as they are in the US, you still will make more than six million pounds a year, which is yeah. just that's embarrassing for a, a team in the best league in the world. Um, and that's cons- for the for the most part consistently been in the best league in the world. So, um, yeah, but that's Peter Silverstone. I'm excited to see what like gets done there. But again, putting putting pieces in the right in the right right spot and you know all that jazz. And then a couple other things. Newcastle United uh, did sign another youth team player, Amadou Diallo, who uh, was at West Ham. He was a trialist against Middlesbrough which was, that was a couple weeks ago, uh, kind of talked about it. Just this was the name that was thrown out. I think Lee Ryder might have had the scoop initially when he was mm. covering the match. Um, but I don't think many people looked too much into it. I think this is actually one of the youth signings that maybe uh, Newcastle fans might be a little bit overreacting to. I mean, this guy failed out of the West Ham Academy. So I'm not saying that, like, this is, you know, it's not, it's not the same level as uh, – signing an Australian wonder kid who is already tearing up the Aussie league. It's more of like just taking a flyer on another player that at a time was a highly touted English prospect playing for the England U 17s and all of that jazz. So, you know, we'll see. Um, Remains to be seen. Yeah. Again, it's, you know, hopefully it works out, but you know, it's tough to be a youth player and uh, make it to the prem. Uh, So, uh, and the last bit of news is uh, Bruno had a baby. Baby Bruno. What's Bruno's yeah, um, baby's name? I don't. I don't know. I just I don't know. It was a baby. Yeah. I, someone said it somewhere, and I don't. I didn't write it down. But yeah, I, yeah Bruno looked. He looked absolutely ragged, man. I don't know if he had slept for two days. Uh, well, he, since he actually he, did say he hadn't slept for two days. So it's like a, I don't know if you. I don't know if you like knew that quote, but yeah, he actually like was talking to uh i forgot where he, he might have said this in ufc.com or something mm. like after the match but he's like or, or he tweeted it i think he's like i'm so happy to give my all for the club i actually i haven't slept for two days but it was worth it to you know you know how bruno is he, i probably subconsciously knew that but i mean i'm yeah, looking I'm, I'm looking at him there. like there's the there's the post-match interview and they're and they're they're talking to Callum. And you know yeah. they're they're asking him about his goal, and and we'll get into that later. But Bruno's like rubbing his eyes so hard, and I was like, brother, I know, like I've been there. I have three boys, and you don't sleep, man. Like, yeah, you just you don't. Not if you're a good one. If you're if you're if you're a real man, like you know, you're there with your you're there with your partner the whole time through, and you know you're holding your little sport when they when they give them to you and. And I know, yeah. and it's just so much adrenaline pumping through you. Even after the third, after the third one, I was still excited. So, congrats yeah. to Bruno. Being a dad is is a fantastic club to be in, and uh, and welcome, club dad. Uh, and then just real quick, the, just to because this answers two things that we just talked about. Uh, this is Bruno's tweet from uh, basically. I want to say this might have this might have been right after the match. This is for you guys. Two days without sleep. Could be at home, but I always wanted to be here with you. Thanks for the support and a kiss from Mateo to you. He is Mateo. Brazilian Jordan. He is Brazilian Jordy, which I love that he's he's not saying he is a Brazilian Jordy. He is Brazilian Jordy. Mateo, Brazilian Jordy. That's just that that's that's who it is, Mateo. So um yeah, he's obviously again uh, good on Bruno. I know Pete uh, I, I I don't know. Uh, Josh, you were on vacation. I didn't even know this was a thing. But I like woke up Sunday. 
I guess you were back from then, and people were like speculating as to whether or not Bruno would have played. And I was like, that's so odd because I feel like in America, like I've not really heard a lot of, of I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't heard of a lot of athletes missing the game after the birth of their child. I've definitely heard of them like the day of the day of or because the birth of the child or like yeah. I me. Mean, but I mean, and part of it is uh, that's like capitalism. I bet. I bet it depends on the sport, though. Like, if it was, think about it, if it was basketball or baseball, the games are so frequent that mm-hmm. if, you know, if Joe Schmo missed a game the day of and maybe the next day because they were kind of a doubleheader that weekend, or, mm-hmm. you know, there was a home mat, a home game, and, and then there was an away game in two days to, you know, some far flung city because of the travel time, maybe that player would miss two games. But like we don't hear about it here because I think with those types of sports, they're so frequent that it was probably just a blip on ESPN or something, and and they just probably don't even talk about it. So, no, um, it's true. I mean, they, yeah, I like I don't know. I follow everything and every team. I I do think, and this is this is I'll say this: that it does seem like the sports, and I don't follow hockey as much, so this could happen in hockey. But it does seem as if the sports that have a lot of games, it feels like. Um, they uh they the the people are better at planning i'll just say that like trey young of the hawks just had a baby and the baby conveniently was born like i want to say right before the season started and like freddie freeman like his kids were born in the off season for baseball so it does feel like maybe maybe they're on to something with the trying to plan things out but you can't plan everything out but no i know like some 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 uh IPF, like freddie and them yeah because they're so ri- like you're you're rich enough you can do you can you you can induce labor i mean there's (laughs) a lot of there's a lot of whatever you want yeah yeah Yeah. so anyway enough about babies um let's uh let's get into let's get into some some footy so just a quick recap of everything just where we are right now newcastle had a pretty good week uh all things considered i know there are some things we can talk about but um for the most part newcastle had a good week they've got they they won not won they went unbeaten this past week match day eleven drew Manchester United match day twelve uh, they won against Everton and the T Rex arms and then match day thirteen uh, went over to Tottenham Hotspur's Hot, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, and won there which I want to say they might be the first Premier League team to have won at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium but don't 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 quote me on that but I think that is what they said that's the funny. That's fine. Yeah, uh, it's it's a weird one, but it, it is like you don't think about it because like so many times it feels like Tottenham look very beatable, and they and they've been in such like disarray the past couple of seasons in terms yeah. of like, just from their fans' perspective of like we don't we're not we're underperforming, but it's like they've actually been an absolute fortress at home. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, it might be we might be, we were the first one to beat them this season because I want to say they've they had like eight straight home wins is what they had. And we broke that streak. So it's definitely this season we're the first team to beat them. All right, anyway. Um, but, yeah, so Newcastle move on to seven unbeaten in a row, and that puts them in fourth place. Top four. I think at the beginning of the season I was saying top ten, but the way that this team is playing, it and, I mean, and I'll say this, Josh, I think we've been pretty realistic in our predictions. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying, like, you know, Newcastle should go out and destroy Manchester United. I'm pretty sure we called that one as a draw. I think we we called it as a 
it would be an exciting draw, but we call this a draw. Like, yeah. We're not saying, you know, we didn't say that we'd go out and draw against Man City. I think we put that down as a loss. Like, you know, yeah. We, no, we we've been pretty... we've been reasonable, but I think also holistically, like if you'd have asked us at the beginning of the season, um, you know, where we thought this team, like had we started this podcast before week one, right? Mm-hmm. I think both you and I would have said, give me a top 10, give me a top 10 um, finish. Give me 10, yeah. com- a comfortable no. 10 and a good com- a cup run. I don't, I mean, I want to win it, but yeah. if they just look like they give a shit, that would be such a dramatic change from what we've experienced for the last, what, mm-hmm. 10, I mean, 10, 20 years that I've been following this club. There's been a few instances of, of uh, some highs and some lows, but um, give me a top 10, give me, give me some comfort at the end of the season where I'm not wondering if we're a couple losses away from getting dragged into a relegation battle. So to be, to be top four right now is like an absolute nosebleed. I don't know what to do. We're so high up. Um, it feels unsustainable, but then every yeah. week, like we go out and put out a performance that is worthy. It's like a top, it's a top four performance. It's like, like you look at, spurs where it's like we came in we executed our game plan and we won the match which is what the best teams in the premier league do like man city goes somewhere they execute their game plan and more often than not they win or draw the match and that's what newcastle has done for seven matches in a row at this point (laughs) that's how that's how you get a european spot and you know what If, if if we finish in sixth great if we finish just outside in seventh or eighth I'll take it because that's progress right now. I think we're ahead of expectation and that's fine, but I will say I will brag. Um, and I have got receipts somewhere. If you need them, mm-hmm. I did say that we do them. I said that we'd get that win away at Tottenham. Um, and I think I almost called the scoreline. I've just got to look it up somewhere, but, um, I want to backtrack. I want to backtrack. Okay, for a yeah. Second. Yeah. We, I think we can definitely start at, I just wanted to give the recap before we, yeah. we dive into each one. Yeah, we can start at Manchester United. The, Let's the do match. that because I, I know in controversy. <laughs> I know you said that we were done talking about babies, but I think that we're not done talking about babies. Okay. Where is and, this going? Um, I think Ronaldo is a big, giant, fat baby, um, yeah. and I think Anthony is a big, giant, fat baby uh, redo. And uh, I'm not I'm like they're good players. Like uh, what did I, I read? Like a. I read a, a transfer rumor that um, that Ronaldo would be open to a Newcastle move in January, and I, I like spit my coffee. No f and thank you, right? Like legendary, that, legendary player, right? Yeah. I mean, Ballon, uh, Ballon I can't even say it. My tongue's tripping. You know, player of the year, player of yeah. the year several times. I mean, Ronaldo, Messi for a for a decade and a half. The two. I wouldn't. Oh, have by one. the way, shout out to Krim Benzema, like a long overdue Ballon d'Or for him. So shout out to him. Uh, hey, thanks for saying Ballon d'Or. Uh, d'Or. Yeah. God, I still can't say it. Yeah, um, it's not. It's not a real award. I mean, it's it. Like I used to think that there was like this big, like everyone in FIFA's voting on it, and then I realized that it's just like a couple guys in France deciding this. And I'm like, why the hell did we make this such a big deal? It's just like a few people in France is deciding who they think is going to be the best player in football. But okay, cool. Um, cool. Anyway, as you were saying, big babies. Yeah, they're big babies, man. And I was, I was watching this. Uh, I was just watching the highlights going back over them again today. And I just feel like at every instance, Manchester was Manchester United was just flopping and the absolute like arrogance that 
that if if Ronaldo goes to ground, he absolutely insists that it should be something. And the look on his face when you know he goes to ground and he's in, instead like he's he's not rewarded for his diving, and instead like his petulance gets him a yellow card. I was just like absolutely chuffed. Yeah, I will say this. Um, one, I'll, I'll, I think Newcastle game plan again. Um, this, I was okay. First things first. This was a deserved draw. I think, um, like Newcastle had the better part of Manchester United, especially in that first half where they just couldn't deal with the press. Manchester United did play themselves back into the game, and Newcastle's quality dropped off a little bit. Like nil nil feels right, especially yeah. considering. Joe Linton could have scored, and Marcus Rashford could have scored. They both definitely had shots that like were like two expected goals. Like they were, they should have gone in. I think Joe Linton hit the, he hit the, uh, he hit, he, he had, I can't remember if the the first header hit the post or the second header hit the post, but like he had a header that oh it was saved and then the rebound hit the post. Um, but it was just like he had two headers that were just from, just six yards out and couldn't convert. And then Marcus Rafford had the same thing at the end of the game. Uh, Ronaldo wanted his goal to count. Uh, I think I'm not even going to go into that discussion about. Absolutely ridiculous. It's just, and I had a, I have a Manchester United friend who just was like, yeah, but like the ref blew the whistle. And I was like, dude, like literally everyone else, it, the, 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 the commentators, the, like no one else thought that it was a live ball except for Ronaldo and Manchester United. And so, like, if you want to go that route and be like, he blew his whistle, and then you see, like, the ref is blowing his whistle with his hand up, running, like, to, to submit his position. Like, he's clearly, like, not in starting play. But, again, that that's not something to discuss. But I do want to say this about Manchester United, and it's something that we, I think we even talked about before. It's just, like, that team is so much better without Ronaldo playing. It's not even funny. Like, because Ten Hag wants to press a little bit, and Ronaldo just refuses to to do any off ball work, and that also happened at Juventus, and that's when I first was kind of hip on put put onto this was like Juventus, like part of the reason the Ronaldo experiment didn't work is that like they have to literally like they're asking one of their players in the eleven to do twice the amount of defending because Ronaldo is not going to defend, and so when he made the move to Manchester United. That was like one of the things I want to say Tifo IRL might've had this. And if you aren't checking out Tifo's content, then I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's good stuff. Um, but they had talked about this of like, like when he goes to Manchester United, you have to find some way to cover for him defensively because he's not going to do any work off ball. And the majority of the managers that he's going to want to, who are going to want to work, they're expecting everyone in this day and age to do off ball work. And so like you get away with it if you're PSG and you've got, You've got like Verratti and guys like that who are just insane, um, and we'll do that. And Messi doesn't have to really do a lot of defensive work, or Neymar doesn't, or Mbappe does it. But when you're Manchester United and you don't have those players, it's it just exposes a big fat hole. And I mean, I don't know. They look sluggish. They look terrible. And you can compare that to literally a couple days later, and they look like they could have beaten Tottenham five nothing. And guess who? wasn't in the starting 11 and didn't make an appearance. It was Ronaldo. And, yeah. you know, you know, so that's, and you know, even then they, they could have beaten Chelsea as well. And again, uh, well not beaten them, but they looked okay against Chelsea and Casemiro saved them at the end. But again, that's another match in which 
Ronaldo wasn't playing. So I don't I don't want to say he's past his prime, but it does feel like he's not contributing to the same level he was even a couple seasons ago. And I think that's okay. And I think everyone recognizes that Ronaldo does not seem to recognize that. That's the problem. It's not it's not his drop off because it's, there's going to be a natural drop off to every player, no matter how fit. It's him not being able to recognize that drop off and adjust accordingly and and understand that his role has now changed. Right, so he's yeah. still playing the prima donna role. He's got this hubris, you know, every time he's out there, and that's just going to bring him down. That's going to be his albatross, man. That's that's what's yeah. going to sink him. Um, and it's one thing it's like if if you recognize that you like if you recognize that and you go to a league that's more your pace then like that's fine like mm-hmm. i think you, you'll be fine but he just yeah i don't know he's just he's doing it at, at, in the premier league where like you cannot afford to have a player that doesn't defend because like every single game matters for europe and like that's what Manchester is running into so yeah anyway any uh any players that stuck out for you during that match? Yeah, I would I would say Nick Pope. I mean, um he stood tall. He's my he's the man of my, he's the man of like these three matches really, but yeah. just um I feel like as as you said, Manchester United had their their moments where, you know, we had the ball and we had some good opportunities. We had some some headers over uh, over the bar across, off off the crossbar, but th- they weren't they weren't lacking in in um you know, in intent and ability. And, and we were lucky. Um, Nick Pope stood tall and was able to, to make some real meaningful stops, not only in this match against Manchester United, but also, um, you know, at home against Everton. So, yeah. I mean, is it, if there's a good, I mean, if you've got a player of the match for United, um, but if you're ready to segue onto sticky toffee pudding, <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll do really quick one and say that uh, Fabian Sharon and Botman were really good in that match, uh, especially as the Manchester United attack started to wake up. They both held their ground. And again, Sven Botman might just walk away at the end of the season with just like the award for best player that we don't talk about enough because it is ridiculous to think about. Like, this guy has never played a Premier League match before this season. And it started off rocky in quotation sure marks. yeah start the the first match but he's been undroppable since undroppable to the point that like your best defender from last season is now playing left back because your left center back is doing so well and it it's just he's doing all the right things so much that you you there's nothing to talk about with him like like you never want to be talking about a defender and so i think he's in a good spot where it's like you're not talking about any mistakes he's making, and he's done it against at this point, you know, the best, the best league. We played everyone in the top six, in the big six, except for uh, I think Chelsea, and we played them right before, uh, right before the World Cup break. So, I mean, just shout out to him. He's just been consistently good and just flying under the radar. But yeah, let's get into Everton. Newcastle did win against Everton at home. Um, a good match, maybe one that, I don't know, do you think Newcastle could have scored maybe two or three in that one? Uh, it, it did feel like that was a fairly dominant performance from Newcastle. They, I mean, we've seen some great performances. I, one touch passing in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bruno, Bruno himself, I think he had an opportunity within the first eight minutes. Um, he's, he kind of put a, cur- a curler just wide. Um, he had another opportunity, I mean, uh, somewhere around the half hour mark where he, he he took the ball and he and he turned in the box and sort of like 
it, it was la- it was lacking a little bit of, of, of power and and uh, and and um, you know his aim was off. But it's like he was. I mean, just give, given a few more inches and in a couple seconds more time. Yeah, I mean, there, this could have been a two or three, uh, two or three goals. Um, but conversely, this isn't again. This isn't to say that Everton didn't play well. Yeah. Um, Calvert Lewin was was uh, you know had a, a couple of really close calls. Um, you know, and, but Nick, Nick Pope's right there, right? He's like, he just, Calvert-Lewin was like, I think it was like a uh, second half, maybe like around the 50th minute. And he, Calvert-Lewin comes in the channel on the right side of the box. And I mean, really like if this was, if this was a couple years ago, I mean, it's not that Dubrovka couldn't have made the, the stop, but it was like, I think it's the calmness and the, that that Pope has, you know, and maybe the trust that he has in his back line. Okay, well, they've got my they've got my back a few times. It's my turn to just stand here, and he, and he stops the ball and he's and he calmly does it. So um, Everton had some really good opportunities. We could have done, we could have scored more, but um, it almost feels like it ended exactly the way it needed to. I will say this: you talk about Everton being okay, and I would I would go as far as say as like. Everton were fine. I don't like. I think they started to wake up in the last probably thirty-ish minutes of that match. But uh, for the most part, I mean, Newcastle had sixteen shots, nine on target. No, sorry, four on target, um, nine off target. You know, just above or hit the post, um, all that kind of jazz. And Everton had one shot that Calvert Lewin chance you were just talking about. Yeah, so yeah. It is when you look at it like that. It's like, oh, okay, well. On paper, and, and, it's a lot. It's a different game, right? Like yeah, than it is and, the yeah. eye test. And then um, possession wise, yeah, I do know Everton did end up. It was about fifty fifty, but there was there was a, a point. I want to say after halftime, it was like sixty five forty five or something like that. So, possession for the sake of possession, though, like what does that get you other than you know you're 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 giving uh, up the ball if you're giving up the ball to your opponent and like like Miggy's left footed curler like around the fifty fifth minute, right? It's like. I mean, all of these shots, it's just they're they're just dialed in by inches. I think who else had a who else had another opportunity right around the seventieth? I don't know. There was like a mixer in the box again. We're we're talking about a game of inches here, where yeah. I think w- Willick Willick could have collected the ball and if he would have turned left instead of right. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. As much as I said, Everton looked dangerous. But yeah, Almiron could have scored again. Um, like you said, Willock had some chances. I mean, Newcastle majority of their shots in that match all were inside the box, which is by the yeah, way, that's not yeah. that's not a great stat if you're Everton. Not if you're no, no. But that that, that level of penetration is very very bad yeah. for 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 a defense. So I mean, maybe I'm giving Everton too much credit because they looked like they were attacking downhill at moments on their counterattacks, but by and large, you know, Newcastle looked very potent and alive. Yeah, uh, and apologies for if we if the motorcycle outside my house just I don't know why I mean, someone's riding what a motorcycle you, at eleven o'clock what, at night. What are you sure. doing? Why can't you stop them? Yeah, um, but yeah. So uh, any any player that stuck out? I mean, I, obviously Maggie had. A, I mean, just I, I you saw him score. You see him score that one goal outside of the boot, and you're like, okay, that's a bit of an anomaly. Like Maggie's not always going to have that in this locker. But then he's just is following up with like absolute bangers of goal. like he's he's scoring goals that are 
confident player goals. Like which is ridiculous. To right? take a shot outside the box, just loft it over the keeper, left For foot curl the top bins, just because you're feeling yourself is absurd. And he's just done it again, and then he did it again. Like <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, but uh, I mean, for me, that's that's probably my my man of the match is 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 Miggy just because he just played with a level of confidence that um, is insane. Bruno obviously also deserves a shout. I think that was probably one of his better games of the year as well. Uh, obviously providing the assist, but just kept everything ticking in the midfield uh, as he always does. But you know who I do want to give credit to. I want to give a shout out to Murphy. I think Murphy yeah, on the left side silently just. I think he had a really great game, uh, creating opportunities, um, getting in the mix. But really, um, sometimes there's this feeling on the right side with Almiron. And, and and Kieran Trippier playing so well on the right side that it feels really imbalanced. But Murphy, um, you know, with, with ASM out, I really slagged off Murphy for a few years. I really just didn't, never felt that he played up to the level of, of Premier League football. And yeah. here he is. He's out there. He's really contributing. And so we talked about, I think, a couple episodes about depth and what does that mean for that means if ASM comes back, Murphy has started so many matches and played so much that even if he comes on as a second half sub, it's like you're not getting a sub. You're just getting another starter later in the match. It's ridiculous. Yeah. This team is going to be once we have ASM back, this is going to be, and, and Isaac, this this team's going to be freaking ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's the that's the, the big key. Um and uh, speaking of keys, kind of moving into our next one, our next match on the docket. Uh, again, Newcastle troubled by injuries to what many would say important players to them. I mean, maybe the most important players. We were without Bruno for a little bit, without Callum Wilson for a little bit, without we've been without ASM on and off for the past couple weeks. We're now without Isak through. I'm assuming through the World Cup. I want to say um, for sure. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. Been, all. That's been confirmed. But then we kind of un- just totally forgot about him because of how good everyone else in that position has stepped up. Uh, John Joe Shelby uh, made his his season debut in, in, in the last match of the three that we're going to talk about today where uh, Newcastle played against Spurs. Um, John Joe Shelby came on for a very brief cameo at the end, but uh, Newcastle won 2-1. Uh, and again, like... The one goal from Spurs, you could even argue, maybe, may I'm not gonna say it was offsides, but like it was, it was definitely questionable at best. Um, but also, it it felt like the the scoreline doesn't reflect the the match. Maybe if it was three one, I would feel better. But that felt like a match in which Newcastle, they they knew exactly what to do from start to finish. I mean, there were there were some some statisticians. And there's actually an athletic piece written about uh, how Newcastle. There's there was one thread done by one of the big stats guys in Newcastle talking about just the overall offensive setup that Newcastle typically run with like a back three of like I want to say it's Byrne, Cher, and Botman kind of just like sitting back there and Trippier kind of goes forward, provides a little bit of width. Almiron comes inside, and so you kind of are essentially playing with like four guys up front in attack, or just an extra person in midfield uh as is like Karen Trippier playing as like a right midfielder um and in this match they changed up their approach altogether and basically had like two people uh in the back with three sitting ahead of them with uh Bruno 
and um, Dan Byrne and Trippier all playing back a little bit, sitting right in front of the back two, just able to break down anything Spurs had uh, through the midfield and just like just kept things moving along. And then that opened up space for guys to play all these crazy diagonal balls. And and then you had a piece in the Athletic talking about how Newcastle typically don't play a crazy amount of long balls. But in this match, they knew that they could exploit Spurs by playing well-timed uh, diagonal balls. It's just something that their fullbacks have been struggling with this season, especially as they tend to drift forward. And Newcastle were trying to hit those all match. And then they finally started to connect. And that's when Newcastle started to score. Uh, the first, actually, if you don't talk about this, the first goal was one of those dangerous balls. Um, and so, real quick, any quick thoughts besides, like, the, I just, all that to say, it was just an Eddie Howe masterclass in terms of tactically, how do you set up your team to mm-hmm. go and get a point away from home? And he, well, he, honestly, not get a point. He set up his team to get a win away from home, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, do you have any kind of additional thoughts, just like what things you noticed, things you saw? Uh, we can we can talk about the goals. We can talk about the the controversy, the the potential penalties Newcastle could have could have been awarded. Uh, where, where, where do you want to go? I do want to give credit where credit is due. If you watch the first half hour or so of the match, um, despite all of that, you know the tactical setup that there was talk about. Um, Tottenham, I think Conte is known for sort of a, a low block, right? And he. Mm-hmm. You know, and Tottenham had, um, a, you know, a dangerous counterattack. They yeah. they looked, I mean, within the first 30 seconds, um, you know, Sonny was, you know, he was on the run, you know, and, and there is a, there is a chance there. And and then you saw a couple other breaks where you saw um, Son, uh, you know, cut loose and then and then, um, you know, give the ball to, uh, you know, to to Harry Kane and. And, you know, Kane had an opportunity and there was another opportunity on the right side of the box. And and Pope, once again, I mean, it was it was not dissimilar to his, his stop of Calvert-Lewin and, and Pope stops the ball. And I think it was I think it was your man um, from Amsterdam <laughs> that, you know, comes from comes from off the line and saves the ball, um, you yes. know. And, and, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's like. So this isn't to say that Spurs was they they were not hapless in this match. They did oh, look yeah. dangerous, but I think I think what happened was um, that sort of controversial contact that Wilson has with Loris. Um, where is that? Right around the thirty-two. I think it's right around yeah. the 30, 30 second minute where he you know Loris messes up a little bit, comes out of the box. And once he's out of the box, I mean, that's a 50 50 to, to yeah. me and to me anyway. And and we, we were we were sort of I yeah. think the only people who were like, I think the commentators were trying to do their best of being like, I don't know. And then they looked at the replay and they all were like, yeah, I mean, he has the right to that ball. And all the studio guys, when you've got Tim Howard, a goalkeeper being like, yeah, it's a 50 50 ball. The only people that were that were not of the same, but I want to say like maybe Ben Foster or someone like some of the older other goalkeeper union people were like, if this doesn't get overturned, it's a crime. And it's like, you're just sticking up for, for keepers. Let's be real. Like, yeah, get out, of, get out of here with that. <laughs> yeah. This was a, to me, this was a lot less controversial than the um, Ronaldo situation in the United match where Ronaldo decided he was just going to run up, steal a ball and score a goal. Right. Like yeah. this was clearly in the, in the run of play, 
um, there was there was contact, but there was no foul. And Wilson collected that ball calmly, right? Turns and scores. I mean, we could talk about the contact, but let's talk about that goal too. Like the 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 presence of the presence of mind to know where he is on the pitch. Because I don't think he looked up. I think no, he, he didn't. I think he turned and he calmly struck the ball, knowing exactly the pace and the lob that he needed to 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 get the ball into the net. And I think that that calm that calm goal from Wilson that is sort of to me what unhinged all of that good looking stuff that Spurs had in the first half hour. I think it, I mean yeah. not to say that they didn't have other opportunities. They even scored a goal later in the match, but. I think it was all for not at that point because within 10 minutes you could see their heads were down and, and we scored again. Yeah. And, and we'll say like, there's a couple things and it's, it's a, it's a perfect storm. Like, like we said, like you can, re- I can try to link the athletic piece somewhere, maybe in the description of this, but you know, that athletic piece actually talks about how like Newcastle, it felt like they didn't have a lot of the ball because they were trying the diagonal balls and like, he, the guy breaks down each ball that's being played by Share, each ball that's being played by Botman. It's like he kind of speaks on how important it is that Newcastle have ball playing center backs now that they can do something like this yeah. because you've got guys like Emerson Royale and Sessignon who are playing as wingbacks when, like, Ryan Sessignon is not a wingback. Like, he's just – he's not. Uh, uh, he He's left midfielder. And so their, their positioning hasn't been great. And so, you know – that ball that was played to Wilson was, I want to say it was from Cher. It was one of the first ones that actually had good weight. And Lloris was like, oh, this is a dangerous ball. I'm coming out for it. So the wheels start turning. And then at that point, Newcastle scores. And the ambitious Tottenham take-it-to-him game plan goes out the window. Yeah. And Conte immediately decides, "I'm we got to sit back and defend. And so they get they settle back into their their low block, and then Newcastle are able to change how they do build up in order to kind of defeat the slow block, and it almost entirely takes away the attacking threat that they had before. I mean, before Newcastle couldn't deal with Kerry Kane dropping into the midfielder and starting to play balls out wide to Sessignon, to Son. I mean, they were doing whatever they wanted. Emerson Royale was was making runs like they were doing whatever they wanted, but then when it actually settled into their back five block and decided they were not going to try to attack anymore. Like you said, heads are already hanging down. And then you get that 10 minute run of them trying to defend essentially until halftime. And then them not being able to do that because Miguel run scores, then that kind of sets the tone and coming out of the half. I'm like, I think it's Newcastle were playing. So I'm like, you could, we could score three or four. And you know, that didn't happen. I think Newcastle, went into a bit more of a defensive, like, let's protect this two-goal lead mode, and sure, respect it. It's, you know, some that's what Eddie wants to do. Sure, whatever. You do that. Um, and then if you look at the goal that Spurs scored, it wasn't even from open play. It was a, it was off of a corner. Like, I mean, sure, the, the build-up to it was decent, but it was off of a corner. Like, it wasn't even like they were creating tons mm-hmm. of chances with open play as well. Like it is, 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 it was a fascinating one, but it was again, a deserved win for Newcastle that felt, it almost felt like that could have been three, one. It could have been, you know, two, nothing. I mean, it, it could have been a lot of things um there, but yeah. I mean, and, and to be fair, I think there were some, I mean, you look at the sun miss and you look at like 
how different is this game if if Hungman Son and that's again that's all Nick Pope like you said if Hungman Son who's one on one with the keeper and tries to chip the keeper and just the ball doesn't have any loft to it like if he scores that goal how different is the response from Newcastle I don't I don't know I mean I, I honestly don't think it would have been that different Newcastle started down one goal before um, so I don't know if it would have been that different but again like you look at that and like you know that's a two two match potentially instead of two one and you're not you're not in the position you are in the table so those little things like that matter and i think newcastle executed their game plan to best their ability they did what they needed to do and walked away with the result and i want again, to talk about though i want to talk about that ridiculous goal from from miggy and yeah, it's yeah 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 and it's and i think it's not that it's as outrageous as his volley from a few weeks before but it's he's so dramatically left-footed mm-hmm. predictably left-footed that as soon as he cuts right he plants his right foot he cuts just enough to kind of like to kind of open his hips up and 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 um sweep that ball with his left foot with his left mm-hmm. i'm like how are these players getting dragged out of position where they don't see that he can't shoot right he i don't even think he could cross it i don't think he could cross the ball with his right foot okay to be fair Newcastle, this is this is the fun fact about Miggy. Only goal he scored last se- season, absolute banger, like top bins, like off the crossbar, was a right-footed curler, and everyone's like, "What the hell?" Like, what? <laughs> so I will give he can shoot with his right. Okay, will he? No, like he ninety percent. It's the time, against his instinct. Yeah, he's going to go left. Like me, that's how. I mean, it, again, this is I'm not I'm not at the level of Roberto Rojas and like following Newcastle like Miguel Amaron, but like. Of the Newcastle fans, I'm probably the closest in terms yeah, of, yeah. like, I've been with him since Atlanta United and the season before Atlanta United, like, was on the field. So I've followed him for quite a while, and I've never seen him, like, really even use the right foot at all. Unless Hilarious. He has. <laughs> Hilarious. And he's got five, Matt. He's got five and five, right? Or something like that. So Yeah, five and five, six on the season. It's It's very much like... Uh, I it, I think it's it it was definitely Robin who like cut in all the time and it's like you know exactly what he's gonna do in every single time. It's the like, cut in the cut in, the, the cut in man, yeah, the cut in side man. Cut in goal, cut in goal, and so yeah, I mean and that one I think that was one of the more impressive Miggy goals because I mean he beats guys off the dribble. It's just like an air of confidence that we just haven't seen, and we talked about this pre last match because of last pod because I want to say. Uh, that Dan Burton knows when he had given his quotes about how, um, you know, how much confidence uh, Eddie Howe is in instilled in the team. And I'll follow that up with uh, Sean Longstaff spoke about it as well. And just like the entire team is confident, but Miguel Amaron is just like on a different level of confidence. And it's good. And Dan Burton had mentioned this is so good for his career, blah, blah, blah. And Sean was basically saying, like, he followed up and basically said, like, this is this what Eddie is doing and getting the buy in from not only the team. Not only the backroom staff, not only like the folks in the front office, not only the ownership, like everyone is bought in from from top all the way down to the fans. And it's show, it's paying off on the pitch. Like every single player is playing their absolute ass off. It's yeah. like it's insane when you look at like the fact Newcastle played three matches in the span of a week and changed their starting eleven once. And it changed one player out. Like, it, it, like all the changes they made were were very minimal. Like, <laughs> like I think Joel, like they didn't start. They might, no, yeah, Jolinton actually he did start after this. Like, it was very like minimal changes that they made. So you're running out 
the the same eleven for three three for three matches in a row, pretty much, or the same collection of let's say same collection about twelve or thirteen players all playing seventy plus minutes and playing an aggressive press, blah blah blah, et cetera, et cetera. Like everyone just bought in top to bottom, and it's really cool to see, and it's it's cool to see for Miggy. I mean, I hope he just keeps it up. Like I'd love to see him get to double digits. Uh, that'd be really cool. Um, and it does feel like at this rate, like he could get to double digits before the World Cup break and just like play like play like Miguel Amaron. Uh, shout out to Jack Realish for just being the villain origin story. Like <laughs> hilarious. Screw that guy. Yeah. Yeah, screw him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean again, great match. Uh, and just to recap, Newcastle are in fourth. Um, is there any player besides Nick Pope that you wanna just before we move on to Match day 14. Um, any player you want to give a shout out to over this run? Um, over the whole run, I mean, Miggy, right? I think yeah. just look, man, like I've been a, I've been a detractor. I've been a denier of Miggy for years. Mm-hmm. Um, for, f- during MLS, during MLS years, yeah. I, I am, you know, I followed uh, the Portland Timbers and, and watching Atlanta United come into the league as a as a as an expansion team and get all this notoriety and i'm like fuck these guys like yeah joseph martinez and miggy almiron i'm like you guys are just a bunch of players you know who it was to me it was darlington nagby who made that team tick and i've never would deny that sure and i never respected miggy uh, and, and even up until this very into the beginning of this year, I was like, he's going to get replaced. He has to get replaced. He's to me, he was, he was just, um, he was just, you know, another major league soccer player that was overrated and made his way into, made his way to the prem. And I was wrong. Like what he, what he needed, what he needed all along was a manager who believed in him the way Tata did. And I think he's found that manager um, in Eddie Howe that believes in him and, and Eddie Howe believes in all of his guys. Right. And yeah. you can hear that in, in the way that Eddie Howe answers questions at the end of a match. Like, you know, you know, Eddie, how, how do you feel about, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and it's not, he won't, his answer doesn't end with talking about or heaping praise on one player. He's like, you know, you know, so-and-so did this, but he couldn't have done this without the help of, this player and this player and you know, this other guy was great and they're all fantastic and he's full of praise. And I think that Eddie Howe's buy-in on these individuals as players, I think creates that esprit de core. And I think that's what maybe Miggy was missing all along. I mean, you can't play for, uh, you, you know, for uh, um, cabbage head and, 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 you know, feel, feel loved and feel appreciated when the guy doesn't even know where to play you. So, um, yeah, Miggy Almiron's my player over the over this this past stretch. I don't think that his run is going to end anytime soon either. He's got that feeling, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say Miggy is a good shout. Um, for me, I'm going to go with the unsung player of the week of this run, of this unbeaten run, potentially of the season. It's Sean Longstaff because uh, it's for the same reason as, as Ben Botman. I think. I th- one, uh, I, this is actually something, uh, our good friend Graham Bell, who is a long time, like, coming on Newcastle friend and has all this other stuff. He's, I guess he's now, like, a freaking uh, celebrity. Am I still super quiet? It'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, you're quiet. Yeah. Cool. That's just so weird. Um, 
But anyway, Graham, longtime friend. Uh, I'm leaving all of that in, by the way. He said uh, that uh, it feels like Newcastle fans always need to have a scapegoat for something. Yeah. Like they can't just enjoy, like, we're in fourth. And they're like trying to slag Sean Longstaff for looking like a passenger in the midfield, all this other <laughs> stuff. And it's like, for God's sake, we are fourth. Like it, like you can get down to nitty gritty, but like we've not been in fourth in ages. Like let's just move on. Um, and he's like, yeah. Before Sean Longstaff, it was ASM, where it's like if ASM isn't having a goal or an assist, a match, everyone's like, oh my gosh, the stepovers, blah 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 blah. Like it's it's very annoying. Um. And so I, I'm going to go with Sean Longstaff. He, he's he been good. He's played all over the midfield. He, he played in that number six role when Bruno was out, underrated in that role, had to play some big matches. And again, he's he's played every single match for Newcastle this season, which is bizarre to think about. And it's like, that's the player that has played every single match for Newcastle this season? Yes, it is. He's played in the cup match. He's played every single match since. He's either been a sub or he started. And for the most part, he started almost every match this season as well, whether people like it or not. And he's covered the most ground of any player of, uh, at Newcastle this season. So the award that people were super you know, high on Joel Linton for last year because he started covering an insane amount of ground that second half of the season. Yeah. like That's yeah. what Sean Longstaff's doing. He's doing a lot of the small things. He's doing a lot of the dirty work. He's recycling the ball. He's, getting, he's, he's playing within his game too. I mean, Sean Longstaff, I think, is recognized. He's not going to be the play he's not going to be the shelby he's not going to play the ball over the top he's not going to do that but he will make himself an option he'll give it to bruno he'll get it out wide to mickey he'll get it out wide to kieran he'll get it out wide to jacob murphy or or joel linton like he does what he's supposed to do and sometimes you just need a guy in the midfield who's just going to do that like every team has that guy out on the pitch somewhere whether it's like a fullback or like just like one of your midfielders that just is like knows their role is exactly what they need to do. It's not going to play beyond their role, and you're not going to ever be like, that's the man of the match. But you're damn sure glad that that person's like, on your team and not trying any crazy like stuff that's out not in their wheelhouse. And so I commend Sean for that. I want to give him his props for that. Um, but, yeah, that would be those, those guys. And I think the back line, of course, they've been unreal. I think you could give all of them gold stars. Uh, you go an entire week and you go one goal after playing Manchester United, Everton, and Spurs uh, with two of those matches being away from home, from, from home, I think you can pat the whole back line on, on the back there as well. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's do a quick ad break uh, just because um, Vox needs to pay their bills. So uh, we'll do an ad break right now. Okay. Back, back to the grind. Um, we've got another match. Uh, the matches are coming thick and quick. I don't know if that was the, the, the right <laughs> terminology. That sounded really weird. Um, but uh, we've got, excuse me, we've got Aston Villa coming up this weekend on Saturday. And uh, there's a couple, there's a little bit of news ahead of the match. Some uh, changes, Aston, some changes. Yeah. <laughs> Aston Villa are are, are done uh, with the, wait, they had Dev, Gerrard, or Lampard? Got it, was, it was Steven Gerrard. Gerrard, yeah. What a fantastic player Steven Gerrard was. What a overrated manager. I mean, someone's probably going to be screaming. Well, no, because if anyone's listening, they're Newcastle supporters, so they'll they'll back me up a little bit. But let's be honest, like 
what was he at Rangers before he was at Villa? There's they only play one good team twice a year. Maybe I, I don't know their schedule. Maybe they played played Celtic three times. Look, and then, and then they and then they suck in Europe. Like yeah, like, so yeah. Well, Rangers Rangers made it all the way to Europe. Yeah, but I mean, who were you playing week in and week out to get to Europe? Like it's not that impressive. So it's also Steven, not that impressive when like the top two teams in that league are Rangers and Celtic, and one of them goes to Champions League and one of them goes to Europa. It's like yeah, all you have to do is be the best of like one of the worst leagues in Europe. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's it's like praising a Shakhtar Donetsk manager. It's like, no offense, but like, who else is in the country? Like, what other it, team it, is in Ukraine that isn't like, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best example given like what's going on in Ukraine. But I mean, it, well, it, it, I mean, you go pre-war and it was still the yeah, same story. Yeah, so it's not it's not different. But yeah, so yeah, Steven Gerrard is out, and to be honest with you, the guy that's coming in, look, he's Unai Emery. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> very, very well regarded manager. Someone that we had inquired about last year immediately post takeover, right? And yeah. it turned us down. It's it's same position. I mean, almost. I mean, Villa are a little bit better, and like to be fair, they just did win for nothing. So I think that's something to to not yeah, be upset about but maybe he like, sees potential in this villa lineup that he didn't see any potential in the newcastle lineup last year and like to be fair they've got names they've got names they've got on paper they're a what do they call that a paper tiger right yeah, they've got sure. they've got fantastic players on paper that have been underperforming um i mean gerard is just he didn't he didn't know what to do with this team. Um, Unai Emery, I think, is going to be really interesting, but I'm not quite sure he's in place for this match. I was he's under the not. impression he won't be in until November 10th for their cup yeah. match. Yeah, because he will not get his work permits. Ah, yes. Brexit. Uh, he's Brexited. Yeah, I about to say, we, we, we did, we've, we've talked about our fair share of Brexit work permit issues. And again, this is ridiculous because this is literally a person who is a citizen uh, in a you know, th- th- okay, but we're not going to talk about Brexit stuff. I think no one wants to hear about UK. No, especially a couple of Americans' perspectives on British yeah. policy. Yeah. I will uh-huh. say, though, for a guy who's actually just co- like coached at the highest level already in that league, mm-hmm. to be it kind of put scale. it, yeah, <laughs> for it, whatever it reason, like for it's literally just like a, a like the office isn't open type of thing where they're yeah. like, like when they're able to name that it won't be done until November first. It's just literally. Because the paperwork won't be done in time is, and that's just obviously just like, all right, well, that's bureaucracy at its fault. It's silly, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, he won't be in charge. But I am. I did want to mention that story. I think it's an interesting one to follow because it's a similar challenge <clears throat> to what he would have had at Newcastle, albeit you know on paper better players. But like you said, players that have still not performed to the best of their ability in the prem. And even some players who like are prim guys who just still like Danny Ings is a guy who's stuck around in the prem for ages and just like still hasn't looked, you know, his best Leon Bay Bailey. Uh, I, I always want to say bye, but it's definitely Bailey. Uh, yeah. He's another one that just like, I had high hopes for him. Absolutely dominant elsewhere. Like if you're a FIFA guy, you know of him. Didn't didn't Donker like, I, uh, Buendia. Buendia has been okay. 
Louise is is fine back in the fold. Uh, the back line I still is a little, is a little sus with Tyrone Mings still doing whatever Ming, he does. But Mingsy but, things. But yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Again, and they've got Kumara as well that they brought in. Like, and I know he's injured, and so mm-hmm. you can't really fault him there. But but yeah, like I'm curious to see what he does with the squad. I also do think that like Emery, unlike Howe, is going to be a guy in which the system's going to take a little bit longer to implement, and maybe Villa has the luxury of waiting to implement a system, uh, just because they aren't again the the talent on paper is better than relegation. And to be honest, the teams below them have been really not really bad, bad. really don't sus. Look like they're going to improve, uh, especially. I mean, Leicester. I don't know what's going on. I, I I want Leeds to be better for the sake of Jesse Marsh, but Wolves look terrible. Nottingham Forest looked god awful. Southampton doesn't look good still. No, um, Bournemouth has been okay, but I mean, and they're they're around there. I think they're uh, one point behind Bournemouth, so like they could still comfortably finish mid table after Emery, you know, and and get the system in. But it is funny because Villa fans were probably the out of nowhere for some reason. The fans that attacked Newcastle fans the most on Twitter this past summer, saying yeah, the team yeah. is miles better and all this other stuff, and like here we are, months later, and um, my man, this goes back. They they've been vitriolic for years, for absolute yeah. like years, and I, I think it goes back. I mean, a few for, we, a few I relegations think, ago, right? Yeah, so say it was a couple relegations ago, but you know, Twitter wasn't as popping as it is now. I do know, like since we've been back up, they have been awful not yeah. it's like them and like everton fans like those two are the because these are teams that i don't think that we would naturally have you know a, a rivalry with but i mean if we're lacking our own our own derby with sunderland not even like right so they're not even close that like these teams have irked me to the point where i hate them I, like I view our matches against Villa and against Everton as rivalry matches because I think for so long, the especially with Villa, I think both both Villa and Newcastle have been up and down and back and forth in and out of the championship and promoted and relegated over the last 10 years. And I think that that's probably where this comes from is we knock each other out or we or we come up, you know, we keep each other down or whatever it might be. And I think that there's just some bad blood between the the, the supporter bases in, in England. And I think it does spill into Twitter and it makes for a really ugly um, following. Yeah, and Everton one's a, a little bit easier to explain. I mean, they've got Jordan Pickford and Newcastle fans have been trolling him forever. <laughs> Thunderland fans are, take pride in when Pickford has a decent match against Newcastle, which Mm -hmm. has been ironic because the past three years have been like, just like if you're an Everton fan, you're kind of dreading playing Newcastle because for some reason they cannot get it done against, against they've, they've been so unlucky. I remember the, the, I think it was the three goal comeback where they went up three, nothing. And like, I Perez had a brace, I want to say, or it might've been two, uh, two, nothing. We ended up winning three, three, two or something like that. in Perez's last season, Newcastle, they just had some unlucky moments. But anyway, let's uh let's get actually into the match. Um, uh, we w- I wish Emery the best of luck. Whatever, I don't care. Sure. Uh, hopefully, you know, you're a better person than I am. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I'm. I don't know. I'm predicting that he'll be there for two years, and it won't work out. He won't get the signings that he wants, and and I think that he's 
he's looking at it on paper thinking what a, what a lot of uh, upside there is at Villa, but I don't think that Villa is an upwardly mobile club. I don't think they're going to crack. I don't think they're going to crack European competitions. I don't, you know, and I just don't think that it's, I think he's I, just as much as I think Conte is going to be out at Tottenham in the next two years. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think Tottenham, I don't think Conte lasts. I mean, I think Conte's done at the end of the season. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to lose. And, and I think Unai Emery is going to give his best this year. I think he's going to play. He's going to manage a full season next year. And I, and I just don't see him hanging around that long because I don't think Villa can um, give him what he wants. Yeah. You know, is his ambitions are, are loftier than what Villa can pull off for him. Yeah. Um, I do want to get into some historic stuff if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I found a pretty cool website. Um, I don't know how updated it is, but it gives me some historic references. So, uh, no, head-to-head, uh, 68 wins uh, versus 52 wins for Villa. So, uh, for New- Newcastle's got, uh, you know, tw- uh, 16 more wins. 38, thir- 38 draws between the two. Newcastle, 52 losses. Villa, 68 losses. Right, so 52 and 68 inverse um newcastle scored 244 all-time goals against villa villa scored 231 all-time goals and if i were to give you a historic match just as a reference point because this is freaking fun um i want to go all the way back to sunday august 22nd 2010 uh newcastle united versus aston villa chris hewton is the manager of Newcastle United, Kevin McDonald, um, I, you know, for what it's worth, I don't remember the name, was the manager at Aston Villa. But here's the lineup for Newcastle. Peep this, man. Mm-hmm. It's Steve Harper oh. in the, in between the pipes. Um, you've got Andy Carroll, Smudge, Alan Smith, uh, Jonas Gutierrez, Wayne Rutledge, Joey Barton, Mike Williamson, Fabrizio Colaccini, Perchino himself, James Perch, Jose Enrique, and uh, chicken chicken wing Kevin Nolan. Um, on the bench, you got Timmy Cruel, Shola Amiobi, uh, Zisco, Ryan Taylor, over the wall Ryan Taylor, uh, Harris Vukic, James Tarvinier, and Peter Lovenkrantz. Uh, they got him on a free, paid him no money, Peter Lovenkrantz. Um what a lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a few names, just for references on the Aston Villa side. Uh, you had Brad Friedel in goal, wow. right? Um, okay. Ashley that's, Young. That's a that's an interesting one, yeah. Ashley, Ashley Young. Young. That makes sense. Yeah. Steven Ireland, for those that know, you know. Um, Stuart Downing, who was an absolute servant. Kieran, uh, Kieran Clark. Kieran Clark was on oh, was on yeah. in the that, squad that, for Villa. That checks out. That actually, yeah, that, that makes sense. On the bench, they had uh, Brad Guzan, um, Emil Heskey, Nigel Rio Coker, um, Eric Lehigh, uh, and uh, you know a couple other names. Uh, Barry Barry Bannon. Um, for those that have fought, played FIFA for years, a lot of these guys have fallen down into the uh, championship level and have been very obtainable on it on a for a cheap budget. <laughs> but but some of those names were I'm just like holy smokes, what a game. Um, this match, my fine feathered friend finished six nil Newcastle, uh, big Andy Carroll had a hat trick. Uh, Joy Barton got one and Kevin Nolan had a brace. Interesting. Yeah. That's, Love that, it. 
that's just a rare like I can't even I, like I'm thinking about the the Brad Friedel uh one that this just I just realized this Brad Friedel Brad Guzan double Brads as keepers but I honestly I don't know when's the last time I that might be the most recent time there's been two American keepers in a, on a European team at the same time huh yeah that feels yeah. it's a very niche stat because. Like I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't. I don't know why who who would track that. But that's just like that's so that's such a weird anomaly. Like that's something that would stick out to me for sure. <laughs> but but yeah, no, that's sick. I love that. I love that. Yeah, absolute blast from the past. So I appreciated uh, being able to bring that up. Yeah, and then recent results. I, I see what you've written here. I want you to to definitely talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I sort of touched on it earlier, but uh, it's an absolute mixed bag here. So I just want to go back a little bit. Okay, um, uh, let's see here. September twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, one one. Um, uh, Aaron uh, Aaron Chabola scored for uh, Villa with a Tommy Elphick own goal back in twenty sixteen. Newcastle did not score a goal in open play. February 20th, 2017, uh, 2-0 Newcastle win with Johan Gufran getting the uh, goal from open play. Um, Henry Lansbury got the own goal for, for Villa. Uh, November 25th, 2019, um, we lost uh, 0-2. August 21st, 2021, we lost 0-2. And then uh, uh, February 13th uh, last year, we win 1-0 with a Kieran Trippier goal. Uh, in 2018-19 and 2017-18, I believe somewhere in there, there's a couple of years where Villa was in the championship or we were in the championship. So this is like because both teams have been so crap over the last decade, we haven't really played as many matches. Like if we go back historically and look, because either one or the other or both were in the championship. Um, so it's really interesting to see that sometimes we can go back years with some, some teams. But like I like I said, like, we have dragged each other up and down these these two, the first and second division. That uh, I, that's probably why there's just so much there's so much piss and vinegar between the two. Yeah, I I, I also real real. I'm honestly looking forward to to potentially next season. If you look at like the championship table right now, um, uh, there's just some interesting names uh, on them right now uh, for for who could potentially be in the mix for going back up. And that leads to some like interesting historical results. Uh, like right now, the top six are, and again, this, this could change championships. So oh, it always does, that. man. Championship is wild. It's but my favorite I'm, league. It's my I'm, favorite I'm, league. Yeah, like as an, as a, as a, as an outside supporter with no dog in the fight, like mm-hmm. that's my favorite league in the world to watch. Yeah. Uh, it does look like Burnley. Burnley looks solid. I think Burnley will, probably come back up there in first right now who knows mm-hmm. finish like that qpr would be electric to get back in the prim uh that'd be fun uh mm-hmm. blackburn back in the prim that'd be fun swansea back in the prim that would be fun and then sheffield uh, and millwall millwall in the prim would be fun and then norwich is in the mix as well so i like i'm curious this year like all of the i mean sunderland are nowhere near the mix so we don't, no. we don't even need to talk about them but i'm curious to hear the uh the um What's it faces the? Jeez, I've already forgotten it. I don't know what the 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 recent results for those. Like, when's the last time Newcastle played Millwall? Oh, you know, yeah, I can't. <laughs> you know, fun. you'd be looking back a while. We, uh, twenty eighteen. I think we played Maybe. Millwall in the championship a couple of times. Yeah. Uh. So 
Um, let's uh, let's let's hop into it. Um, injuries and suspensions. Uh, I think on the Newcastle side, it's mostly ASM is the big the big injury uh, knock right now. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone else seems to be okay outside of ASM, and then of course Isak. It looks like we have a return date for him. You've got it down here. It's going to be December first. So that's that, just what was listed on transfer market. And that doesn't mean. You know, it's set in stone, but that is post World Cup. So, um, yeah, maybe which is what we said, you know, it was, mm-hmm. he was going to be out through the World Cup. So that seems like it's going to be the case. I think that's a, a again, yeah, that's a transfer mark estimate because that's, I'm pretty sure that's what the club announced that he was going to miss mm-hmm. during the World Cup. Uh, and then on the Villa side, Kamara's out until December. Uh, Dean Yezauer, Dean, Luca Dean, Lucas Dean, I don't know how to say his name. Who knows? Uh, That's what I would say. Yeah. Could be available this weekend. Augustin scheduled for return, but dot, dot, dot is what Josh has written in the notes. It's a, it's another one of those where it's a, it's a muscle injury. I think he has a thigh injury or a hammy and it's kind of like your muscles are going to do. I wouldn't test. I wouldn't test it. If I were an interim manager, I'd just roll whoever I rolled out this past week. Yeah, and they scored four goals for the first time in like three years. Yeah, why change so, a thing? Yeah, uh, and then uh, Diego Carlos, who knew, famously linked to Newcastle for three weeks, uh, <laughs> out indefinitely. Um, yeah, you got any uh, Villa players you want to uh, throw on the the watch out list? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you brought him up earlier in this conversation, but Leon Bailey, I think, is one to watch. For me, um, you know, when he played back for Genk and for Bayer Leverkusen um, between the two, he made 175 appearances and scored 36 goals. Since his move to Aston Villa, I think he scored three. And after last week, I think that's his fourth goal of, of like of his time. Yeah. At Aston Villa, right? He's been basically like impotent. I don't know how else to like. He's just like not, he's not doing it for the club. But I think it's, it's a really, it's really weird. I think with caretaker, uh, was it Aaron John Danks? I think mm-hmm. he's made, he's made an interesting uh, tactical change. Um, if you look at what Jard was doing, um, Stevie G was playing um, some sort of combination. It was a 4 3 something right so it was a 4-3-3 a 4-3-2-1 christmas tree but mostly it was like he was just sort of like creating this this tight base and then and not doing anything with it so you know he he i think his first his match i went as far back as the west ham match where he played with a false nine with coutinho in the middle and they lost zero one Right. And then they went to Arsenal and they lost one to two. And then they drew at home against Man City. Right. Um, that was a big deal. And they played a four, three, two, one. So that was when they he, he had shifted to uh, a Christmas tree formation and he tried to stick with it the next week. And they got um, I think they got a win at Southampton. Then a draw at Leeds. One, uh, one with Forrest. Like these are teams that they should have been beating. And like I said, on paper, Aston Villa is like they should be doing better than they than they've done. Um, they lose at home to Chelsea and and they get they get wiped out by Fulham. Like then they get this weird anomaly, this four nil win after CVG is gone at um, versus Brentford. And the change that I think uh, Danks made 
is he moved it to a four two three one instead of a instead of a Christmas yeah. tree. So he gave he gave it a double pivot. He went a little bit higher up with his midfielders, and I think what that does is I think that creates um a little bit more activity in the attacking third. And I think Bailey is really going to um I think he's he's going to find some joy from that from the that movement up there. And he may be a little bit more free. So I would watch for Leon Bailey. Um, there's a lot of, there's like I said, there's a lot of good players on this team. And I don't know if Coutinho is going to start. He hasn't really, like, I, to be honest with you. And he didn't even look that No, I think we dodged way. a bullet. I think people were like saying, oh, Newcastle missed out on him. And I kind of felt like we did. Like, I kind of felt like we missed out on a lot of players at the end of January last year. And it turns out, nope. Eddie Howe knows what he's doing, right? So, you know, maybe we didn't get him because we didn't get him, not because he didn't want to come to us. There's, there's that possibility that we just didn't hear about. Yeah. And you never like, I mean, it's, you never hear about like, we, I mean, until, unless it's really bad, you never hear about the, we didn't want that players. Like when I think Newcastle, Newcastle have passed up on some players. Like Jesse Lingard was Lingard. Yeah. They passed up on a few players. Deli Ali. I felt like yeah. I was looking at like at the time, at the time, like our midfield was so lackluster that I was daydreaming of like a Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard double pivot with Coutinho up top, like in the, in the 10 spot. Yeah. And I just was like, that would have been such a massive improvement to how we were playing. Um, but patience, perseverance, and planning paid off for uh, a good, what a good alliteration paid off for yeah. old Eddie Howe. So, and um, it's culture fit too. Like when yeah. you have a player like Jesse Lingard, and, and fair play to him, he wanted to be at a certain location and he got that. But if he's not, like, it's all about buying for Eddie Howe. Uh, and so if the player is not bought in, like, I think that, you know, those players that weren't 100% bought into what we were doing at Newcastle, it's good that they weren't, they aren't here. Like that they, they probably would not have done as well as they are doing now. Um, and so on that note, uh, for me, I'd say it's more of the same. Uh, Bailey's, Bailey's my, my number one. Ollie Watkins is another player who yeah. I think is just going to, he's, he's, he's always been good and he's starting to find his footing in this Villa side. Uh, and then Bundia is always a player to to look out for, but what is a little bit you know makes you a little bit nervous is Danny Ings is coming off a brace. So uh, if Danny Ings starts cooking, um, he's just a guy that's done it in the prim and just is like one of those guys where you're gonna like when he retires, you're gonna look back on his career and be like, man, this guy scored like double digit goals every season that he played in the Premier League in, like almost every single season. Like yeah. he's had a couple where, I mean, he just didn't have the appearances and just was injured and stuff. But I mean, you look at like holistically what he's done in the Prem, it's like 11 goals, seven goals, 22 goals, 12 goals, seven goals. Like it's, it's been like, yeah, it's been up and down, but it's like, all right, you know what? This guy can at least get you a few goals a season. And that's cool. And when he's, when it's when it's like less than ten, it's usually because he's been injured. So injured, yeah. It's 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 good for him. Uh, glad to see him healthy and and playing well. Um, and they've got some decent pieces off the bench as well. Um, that that'll be interesting to see uh, what they do tactically. But I think the advantage Newcastle have is that like the and this is just it's the name it's the it's the way of the game with interim managers like you you're not going to get the same level of tactical adjustments that you might with a 
legit manager because they're just they're they're interim for a reason mm-hmm. and they're working purely almost on like motivation and they may change a couple things here and there they'll change the setup like they have and see how it works for the players but if you got a manager like eddie howe who is an over preparer and notices this is what villa did and has a counter for it this could be a game in which villa who just came off of a match where they score four goals find themselves devoid of chances or Begin. It's that's the, that's the funny thing about the. It's why we managers. watch, yeah. It, yeah, or it's just the the exact opposite, and they're just so confident with the new manager bump that they're just doing whatever they want, and they're just like, we've all we needed was a change of pace. So we'll see. Um, you got any uh, predictions for us? This, yeah, this one's at home. Um, I think we we under I think we underscored if we we spoke about this at, at length uh the the United match and the and the Everton match um I think Tottenham ended exactly how it needed to end uh it was a fair draw at United um I think we do them I think we I think this is a I think this is a 3-1 I think this is reminiscent of that Brentford game where I think it's just uh we just unleash on them, um, just, and it just—I feel like their match against Brentford last week might have been an anomaly for them, sort of a, a, a sort of a release of frustration and to vent with uh, with Stevie G uh, leaving to show, hey, we are good players, and they are good players. They are a good team, and Unai Emery is going to take Aston Villa up the table um, and, and do things with them that Gerard just couldn't do. But it's not going to happen this weekend. Yeah, I did notice one odd thing about the Brentford one, and maybe maybe it's just like I haven't followed Brentford as closely as I, I could have, but um, it did seem like looking at the lineup they put out, and like I'm, I'm kind of lo- looking back at some of their results, it definitely is a different lineup than what we saw uh, 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 from the Brentford side, and maybe that's like they, that they've blown things up since then, but they've brought in some different players and look like they did rotate a little bit. So that could have also been part of it is that there was a little bit of, of rotation on the, on the Brentford side. I mean, Tony mm. and, and, and Blamo still started, but it's still, it's, it's a little bit interesting. I'm curious to see like, you know, Canos came off the bench to Silva came off the bench. Baptiste came off the bench. These are guys that started against Newcastle. I don't think Canos started, but I know De Silva and I think Baptiste started and they were, Brentford's two kind of only sparks uh, in that match. So it's a weird one. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that this could be um, 3-1. Um, but I, I'm not going to be surprised if Villa, you know, either get off to a hot start and maybe score the first goal or uh, end up making this a little bit more competitive and it's a little bit tighter than we expected. Uh, like you said, the players on paper are good. It just has been a ton of just underperforming and it's just fascinating to that uh that they they've they've done that and so fair play to gerard for doing that and it kind of i have a friend who has this theory that like most really good players are bad managers and his theory so far is like you can make an argument of like was pep that good you know when he was actually playing what is was Zidane as good of a manager or did he just have one of the best Real Madrid teams of all time but this certainly helps his argument I'm not gonna go into <laughs> detail about like that particular thing Vieira proved me wrong on that regard I thought Vieira was like a he's how I felt about how you felt about Miggy and MLS I thought Vieira was like all right he can get it done in MLS whatever but like he's not a legit manager He's proven me wrong in that yeah. in, the, in that regard. Uh, not that you know he cares. 
All right. Uh, we got one question in. Uh, the other questions were way more topical for like stuff last week. So I felt like we don't need to yeah. dive back into those. And we answered some of those regardless. Um, they were super specific. So it's just not worth it. Uh, NUFC Indiana uh, asks, would you be in favor of renaming St. James Park to help circumvent financial fair play restrictions? Granted, naming rights don't bring huge dollars, but have a severe lack of commercial income due to the small deals Ashley had in place. It would certainly help. We kind of touched on naming rights deals earlier. Um, Josh, what's your opinion on uh, naming rights deals for a stadium? Any other team. Any other team, yes, but a hard no for St. James's Park. And the, the reason is it's been there. F- look, I'd, I'd be I'd be killed. I, I don't know if I, you know, I guess I'm so far away from Newcastle supporters proper that, that they couldn't get me in my own in my own house. But I would never be welcome in Newcastle if I were to say, yeah, rename the stadium. It's it. Look, you can rename the stands. I think you could probably. Well, I don't know if you could rename the stands because they're named after famous players maybe some sort of build some sort of um some sort of promenade some sort of walk a park next to st james's like uh the training ground you can rename the training ground um do yeah. so, you know a hotel if if the if they wanted to build a a hotel specifically you know i just got back from disneyland so if they built like a themed hotel that looked like you were at st james's park and you know and it opened up to sort of like a a, a faux version of the stadium like do that but do not rename this actual stadium like yeah yeah don't do it i i, I think i'll say this i think we're i think when people hear naming rights and they like i think people i think okay i'll say this as someone who this is like my jam is sports and tracking sponsorships and stuff like that. There's a way to like, you don't need to completely sell out to a, to a corporation. Like sure. You'll get way more money if you rename something the Etihad, for example. Um, Like, and it's just like the name is synonymous with the brand and it does its well. But I do think there is a world in which we get something similar to the sports direct signs up um, at St. James's, just because that's the that's like going to be the quickest way to inject cash and show profit in this investment um and yeah there is going to be the the sports washing element as well um of like there there it's just like there's no chance this isn't going to be some sort of yeah lest we forget yeah like it's going to be a saudi company um i think that if darren eels holds true to his word and really does meet with the fans and try to hammer out a deal that makes the most sense. I think he will try to do that. Like knowing Darren and having been a fan of a team that he ran and having met him, like he will do that. He will interact with fans. He will ask them what they think. He will try to take their stuff into consideration. What people will not realize. And this is part of the role of being CEO is all the bad things. Like you get to celebrate the success, but all the bad things are going to come back to you is he may hammer out the perfect deal with let's say it's Aramco the 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 oil company and it's you know Aramco field at St. James Park St. James's Park which is better than just renaming everything all together and it's like a happy medium where they get their 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 TV time and they get their advertisements and they get naming rights with the training ground and all this other stuff that's included but then 
he gets a call from the folks upstairs and they're like, no, we want the whole park renamed for this amount of money. Like I could see that happening as well. And fans being absolutely pissed that Darren didn't do his job and he's not going to be the type of guy to leak. Hey, this is actually what the PIF wanted. Like I'm sure it'll come out at some point, but I could 1000% see the PIF stepping in and making this all about them and completely getting this wrong, this part wrong. This is like the one thing the PIF has to get right. And they have to take a backseat and be like, this cannot be all about us and our little pet project. Like they have to let uh, Newcastle fans have this win and approach the whole situation with open mindedness and recognize that they may not get everything that they want um, off rip. So yeah, uh, and I would I would argue that naming rights can bring a huge dollar if it's the right team. I just think that UK teams are incredibly terrible at valuing themselves, and like they just suck at doing commercial deals overall. But that's a, again, that's another conversation. You know my <laughs> thoughts on that. Slide into my DMs. I can that's... show you how much Atlanta United and other teams are charging for very basic sponsorships, and how much the biggest teams in the world are charging for the same sponsorships and you'd be shocked <laughs> you don't get it if you don't ask for it yep and and it's i will say this darren Neels will ask for it because uh, he's seen it on the mls side and he's like wait they're tar- we're charging this much for this yeah okay interesting <laughs> all right yeah uh so that's that's all we've got uh for this this week's episode of chn radio um break it up if you want we had a lot to comp to talk about um Josh, you got any final thoughts for the people? That, that was a that was a good episode. No, yeah, well, I agree. Oh, I'm gonna go listen to it again. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm Elijah. That's Josh. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. Away the lights, and uh, we love you. If I make a few quick bob, it's cold up there in summer. It's like sitting inside a fridge, but I wish I was on the case side. Looking at the old time bridge, I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dark. It's in James's Park, if the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home. And I'm proud to be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self-pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had a tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wing. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river tine. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been a weird. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound. And me mother saying, hey, how weird. I'm coming home. The old blind busker who stands at Fenwick's door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Jody heroes, there's so many famous names like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. 
at work the streets of the I'll need for a bottle of your own brown ale. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dog at St. James's Park in the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. Walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of the river tide I'm coming home, Newcastle I wish I'd never been away I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother saying, hey, how we I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dog, it's in James's park, in the Gallagher's end, in the rain, I'm coming.